Good to see all of you guys. Um, if this is your first time here, my name is John Wagler. Um, I'm part of the Hill City team, and uh, just so grateful you decided to spend a portion of your Sunday here. And I'm um, just thankful, and I hope that Hill City becomes a place that you can call home. Uh, if you've got any questions or uh, about how to get connected here or anything about who we're about as a church, on your way out, you can stop at the info bar, and um, there's some folks there that will uh, answer some of your questions. Um, today is Share Offering Sunday. Um, yes, which we're super excited about. I'll talk about that at the end um, before we leave, but really excited. This is my next to baptism Sunday. This is my favorite day uh, of the year that we get to do as a church together. So really excited about that. Um, we're in the week number uh, four of this series on the Spirit. And so we've been talking about, uh, really the premise of this has, has really been that the Spirit brings life, all right? That the Spirit brings life. That without the Spirit of God working in us, we don't have life. We don't have uh, the life that we ought to. We don't have the life that we could experience. Um, without Him, we, go, we don't have uh, the perspective without the Spirit of God moving in us in a powerful way. And so uh, each week we've been taking a look at how does the Spirit actually bring life? And what does that uh, begin to look like? And we'll continue that again today. But like, how does it bring breathe life into us. Even uh, throughout scripture, uh, it talks about this breath of life. In the first week, we talked about this. Even when we breathe, it's like, like every time we breathe, it's like, man, that's the that's how the Spirit of God works, how it's described in Scripture. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about that um, here this morning. Because when something's dead, there's something's not right, right? Like when you see something dead or when you um, experience something, no matter what it is in your life, it's like, man, it's just like ah, something like taken out of it. Uh, I remember uh, in, in college when I played baseball there, um, there was a moment where we had this big rivalry weekend and against East Carolina, and it was a battle for first place in the conference. And uh, but. Baseball players are superstitious people. I don't know if you guys know that or not. Um, but actually, it's probably more than any other sport that are most superstitious. And so we had so many different things that we would do. If you got on a, any kind of hot streak, like you would wear the same underwear, same socks, same everything. Like it didn't, it didn't matter how clean or dirty uh, that those things were. Um, because it's a try, like baseball is a game of failure. So when you got something going, I was like, man, I'm, I don't want to change anything. If a team gets on a run and they score a lot of runs, like the guys will like run out and like if they slap high five, everyone will start yelling, same seats, same seats, same seats. Like, it's insane how superstitious we were. But one, uh, one time, uh, my uh, friend Mo and I, we were um, co-captains, and uh, Coach Mack was sitting next to us, and we, it was against East Carolina, and we are just like, the dugout was just like dead. And we were losing, it was the first game of three, and um, it was just like dead. And he looks over at us, he's like, man, he's like, we're dead in here. You guys gotta, you like, gotta go do something. And we're, just, we're down by uh, three runs heading into uh, the eighth inning at that point in time. And so we had this thing called the run turtle. And um, again, you know, even like saying this feels insane to me. But um, so what would happen is, is one of the seniors would have to get up and uh, they would draw a turtle in the dirt. And, it was, and we would try to score more runs. You'd draw a turtle in the dirt and you'd just spit in it. And so, um, and so that's what we did. So we would just keep spitting in, in the run turtle. Well, all of a sudden, like, we score a couple of runs. And so everyone just keeps like spitting in the run turtle. And, um, and so we just kept spitting and spitting. And like everyone's just going wild. Until all the point, my, uh, one of my other roommates, he gets up, bases loaded, right? And so everyone's just spitting in the run turtle. And he hits a bomb in right field, like grand slam. And we end up, we end up winning the game. And we are going nuts. There's like so much life that happened because of the run turtle, right? But no, but it's like because of, and so whenever I think about the spirit of God, I think about it like the run turtle. Like, here's why. No one knows why that worked. It, I mean, it wasn't the run turtle, right? We know that. But like, even that we just sang, it was like, man, when the Spirit of God is working, like something, it brings like dead things to life. 
And sometimes we don't understand it. That's why we were saying, like, sometimes I don't even see it, sometimes I don't even feel it. But it brings dead things to life. And, and so for some of us in this room today, here's what I know. Uh, you've been neglecting the Spirit of God in your life. You've been doing things, as we talked about in week two, you've been doing things to quench the Spirit. And there's some things in, that are dead in you that need to be brought to life that only the Spirit of God uh, can do. And, and I want us to, to hear that and feel that because here's what I know. When we get in times of weakness or when we're struggling or we feel discouraged, we need the Spirit of God to breathe life into us. And we need that. And so, um, because when the Spirit of God works, like, things happen. We don't just stay the same. Uh, in 2 Timothy uh, 1, I want you to see this because um, we're going to read a couple of verses here about what happens, uh, you know, when we sing that first song uh, about 10,000 armies being stronger. But this is what happens when the Spirit of God begins to uh, work in us. And uh, it's something like there's this strength that starts to happen, this power starts to happen within us. And when Paul writes this letter, here's what's always fascinating to me. Lacey and I were in Italy. You talk about like dead things. Uh, we're eating gelato. And, and in the midst of eating gelato in this piazza, it's like someone was like, hey, this used to be like for the Roman, and we're in the ruins of the Roman Empire, you know? And, uh, and it's like this big, like it was like this big political building. And we're just eating gelato on its former steps. And I thought to myself, huh, I wonder like when people were like here and alive when the Roman Empire was a thing, did they ever think this thing was going to die? And, like, the answer is no, right? Like, so I wonder, like, will there come a day, and the answer is probably yes, there'll come a day where someone will eat on the steps of the White House rooms. And they'll be eating, like, a sub or something, or whatever they'll eat whenever that time comes. Maybe it's, like, I don't even know what kind of food it'll be, but in the future. But, but it's something, they'll be like, well, it's crazy that this empire used to be here at one point in time. And so what, it was something that was dead, and, and when Paul's writing, it's like something else can come to life, something, another d- different kind of focus. And so Paul writes this in 2 Timothy 1. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan the flame, the gift of God, right? So this gift is the Spirit of God, which is in you through the laying on my hands. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid. All right, so when the Spirit, so some of you are maybe like a little on the quieter side, you're like, you're Wait, is the Spirit not working? No, I'm not saying that in personality. There's some kind of courage. There's something that there's a strength that begins to build inside of us. He says, but gives us power, which just means godliness, love, and self-discipline. So that, ready? So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, uh, our Lord or me, of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So he said, when the Spirit of God works in us, we get so excited about the testimony of who Jesus is that he's like, come join in the suffering. Why? Because you'll have the strength of the Spirit of God in you, and I'm telling you it's better than just sitting idly by on the side. That's like real life. Real life being breathed in, just real power, real strength coming into us. Paul also writes it in this way in 2 Thessalonians 2. He says, but we ought to always thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work. Just means like this, um, making you more holy um, of the Spirit. All right, so the Spirit's doing that work inside of you through the belief in the truth. He called you to, uh, to this through the, our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, look at this. Stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we pass on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. The reason why I bring this part out is because there's a lot of this language centered around the Spirit of God, around strength, around standing firm, uh, around having courage, around something kind of breathing into you. 
And so the Spirit of God then begins to work, and not so that all of a sudden uh, uh, we're not like jerks to people, right? Because I got the Spirit of God, and that's why I'm so bold. And we're not, we're not, it's, it's the Spirit of God works with us in courage, and our boldness does come out, and our strength comes out, and this power within us comes in. That like, man, you're going through a tough time, and you're going through suffering and pain, or going through like the, the incredible discouragement. It's like the Spirit of God comes and breathes life into you. It doesn't wipe away the pain you're going through or the circumstance, but what it does is in the midst of those things, you have incredible courage. You have incredible strength. You have something that's building up inside of you in a perspective that you could not otherwise have without the Spirit of God moving in you. And so Paul's saying, like, this is what the Spirit of God does. It's like breathing life. This power is coming into you, this power that is so critical. And it's interesting that when the Spirit of God was moving in the early church, um, they saw some significant things happen. They saw miracles happening. And sometimes I sit back and um, I'm like, man, have we, have we really tried to diminish the Spirit of God so much that we don't see as many miracles as, as maybe we should? Now, we see miracles sometimes. There's no doubt. Um, I see, actually, Doug sitting there um, right now. He's probably going to hate that I'm even saying this. But he shared something with, with, uh, with us this week of just like a miracle that happened in his life. And it's powerful when you hear it. And it's like, man, the Spirit of God begins to move in this powerful way. And it's like, whoa, something is happening. And there was something in the church and in the early church and in that community that there was great power and there was great strength. I see the language so often around Christians right now um, about um, being marginalized and being kind of pushed out and everything. And I'm like, who cares? We got the Spirit of God. But no, but what's going to happen in our schools? Who cares? We've got the Spirit of God. Yeah, but what if we can't, like, what if we can't publicly pray? Who cares? We've got the Spirit of God. It's far greater than anything else. And it breathes life into us. It brings strength into us. This incredible power that cannot be man-made. And Paul's trying to push people. He's like, come on, you got to see this. you got to feel it. You gotta, this is what the Spirit of God begins to do in our lives. But here's the question that I wondered. Can God trust you with the life and power of the Spirit? See, I believe um, God is looking for people that he can trust with the power of his Spirit. That we would set up our lives and set up our hearts and set up our communities to say, Man, we want the Spirit of God to move, not casually. We want the Spirit of God to move powerfully. You know, whenever the Spirit of God moved uh, in the early church, we always saw miracles happen. We saw um, that it was great news for the poor and marginalized, right? And it was, like, significant, and that the lost became saved. Like, that's what happened when the Spirit of God started moving. And so... I'm like, man, like that's, that's what we should want and long for in our communities. The Spirit of God begins to move in such a powerful way. And sometimes even when I say the miracles part, like, well, if the miracle didn't happen that we were praying for, does that, does that mean the Spirit of God isn't moving? No, it doesn't mean that. The Spirit of God's always moving. And we'll talk about that at the end here, about what we're waiting for. But, but we begin to see that, man, our expectation is for the Spirit of God to do some powerful things, but can he trust people with it? Can God, it's like, the folks at Hill City, can I, can I trust them? Can I entrust my, the power of the Spirit to come into them? And will it be used in the right way and received in the right way? See, when I started thinking about where we're at right now, 
um, kind of culturally, um, it's fascinating because you, there were some distinctives in the early church. This guy by the name Tim Keller, who's a um, pastor up in New York City, uh, he talks about these cultural distinctives of the early church, and, and I think he got it from another book. So, um, I, but these distinctives were like very specific very specific to the early church. There was such a differentiation between them. And, and we see that the, the Spirit of God was moving in the early church, and then these distinctives came out of it. And so we see that um, they were adamant about the sanctity of life. When the Spirit of God was moving, that was, that was part of it. Um, they would have uh, um, infant exposure, was what it was called. And so basically what they would do is if a family didn't want a child, if someone got pregnant and didn't want to be, um, they would have the baby and then just leave it out on the sidewalk or leave it out like just in the alleyway and let the baby uh, die. Um, and what ended up happening was, as the Spirit of God began to move, Christians said, like, no, 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 that, that life deeply matters, deeply matters, and there's no way we would let that happen. And so Christians came in, and it's like the sanctity of life was, like, critical, and it was, it was important. So even some of these conversations that we have around sanctity of life, it becomes important, like, man, when the Spirit of God is moving, the sanctity of life is something significant. We can't diminish any kind of life. And so we see that that was one of the things. Another one was known for hospitality to the poor um, and uh, social justice. That there, were, there, was a, there was a very distinctive thing that the early church did. That because of the truth of the good news of the gospel and the spirit of God moving, there was this great power that they began to look at. Where are the areas in our community where there are actually justice issues? Where are the poor in our community? And they began to step into those areas because the spirit of God is moving in us. An incredible power. It's a man that social justice really did become on the forefront of what that they were doing in terms of action in word and in deed. Because if the gospel is really alive and well in a community, that what ends up happening is social justice becomes a reality. And so that was a distinctive thing. Um, they were multiracial and multiethnic. Um, that was like a critical piece to that. Um, they were sexually countercultural. Um, this was a big thing. Uh, even, it's, it's just fascinating how the Bible talks around that, but there's sexually countercultural. Uh, I'll argue with any of you on this one, so if you want to, we can. Um, right now, our culture is moving back towards biblical sexuality, and not, I, I should say, the times of biblical sexuality, not biblical sexuality. So when we read in Scripture around what was happening um, sexually, like, we aren't getting better it's getting way worse. It's not like some of the conversations, like it's, it's getting way worse. And, and it's going to continue to get worse, y'all. Like polygamy is coming back. Guess what? That's coming. Uh, polyamory, it's coming. Sex with robots, it's already here. Like all these things are, like it's coming, if not already here. And, like, and I'm telling you, it's getting worse and worse, and worse. it's just moving back. So this is what, actually, this is kind of cool too at the same time. It's like, oh, the Bible already talked about this. We've already lived through it, and the Spirit of God can come, and the power of the Spirit of God can work through all of it. So it was a, it was a thing that was like, oh, this is how we begin to get set apart when the Spirit of God is moving. Another one is it became nonviolent. I won't spend a lot of time on that one, but they were nonviolent people. Not like, like they were complete pacifists. No, I wouldn't say that. Um, they were just nonviolent people. They were not looking to initiate anything. So, like, I consider myself a nonviolent person, okay? But if you were to try and hurt my family, I'm not going to not do something, okay? And so, um, so there, but I'm a nonviolent person, so I'm not, I'm not thirsting for violence. So it's a, it's a shift that ends up happening. It was countercultural to the time. 
Why? And so it's the power of the Spirit of God begins to work and entrust it, and that these distinctives started coming up. And so this is why we talk about this all the time, that when the Spirit of God is moving in us, there should be some distinctives in who we are and how we think. It should not feel the same. So when we begin to start thinking through some of the things that are listed there, it's like, man, and how I perceive this world and how I look at people and some of these cultural topics, am I distinctive in this or do I just blend into the world's ideals? If we just blend into the world's ideals, then guess what? That is not the Spirit of God moving in that. There's a differentiation in between how we're supposed to live and think and act. Even this week, we're in a foster care meeting from where Virginia Kids Belong, and um, one of the women uh, that's there that works in the government, we were just talking, and, and, uh, and I was just asking her, I, I said, hey, like, what do you wish would happen? What do you wish, or what do you see? And, and she said, I'm paraphrasing here, she goes, you know, it's fascinating, this whole foster care thing. Um, it's crazy to me, um, because the government will never solve it. She's like, the, we keep thinking the government's going to solve things. It's like, we just, it just won't. And she works for the government. Um, she's like, the government is not going to solve it. <clears throat> the government barely even makes a dent in this. And she said, you know, it's, it's crazy to me that the church has abdicated its responsibilities to the government. And that Christians just sit idly by on all of these issues and be like, oh, the government will take care of it. Just raise our taxes a little bit and just create something new. And she's like, no, 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 that the Christians should be over-the-top generous without all that they have, and guess what? They will take care of it. And that was what used to happen. Now, there are little pockets of the good like, that happen right now, so I'm not, it's not all negative. I'm just, but it's like, that's what she was saying. She goes, if the churches in Richmond just got together and actually did what they were supposed to do, foster care could be gone tomorrow. And the Spirit of God begins to move in us. We rally together, and we look at these things, and it's like, man, this is how we're supposed to enter in with such power and such strength that can only come from the Spirit of God, not by anything else. And so how do we do this? Like, what does it look like? Um, let me just say this to you. God's not going to move in, in people who don't want it. Like, you're just not going to be sitting there, and all of a sudden you're just going to be like, whoa, <laughs> the Spirit of God just worked. Wow, that's crazy. Like, that's just not how it works, Okay. The Spirit of God will not move in your life like, like the Spirit wants to until we like, open ourselves up for it, being willing to say, Spirit, will you, you move? The Spirit of God will move around us sometimes, and we don't even realize it. That's why, again, that's why we're saying that. I was like, man, it's so good. Those lyrics are so good. Because you don't see it sometimes. Some of you guys ended up in church, like, the Spirit's been moving around you. It's been tapping into things, and you don't really know it yet. But what the Spirit wants to do is, no, the second you surrender, let me bring, bring life into you. And it changes everything. So I want to give us just a couple of things to kind of take in about what do we do with this? Like, how do we have the Spirit and get the power of the Spirit moving in us? Here's the first thing. Receive it, don't try and take it. Receive it and don't try and take it. Um, if you think about the story in Genesis chapter 3 with Eve, um, she tried to take something. She saw the, the serpent, like, tempts her, and she's like, ooh, I want that. I'm going to try and take that rather than waiting on God. Waiting. Wait, wait on God, wait on God, wait on God. Okay? And so we don't want to be like them in that scenario, Adam and Eve in that scenario, just trying to take something. It's like, no, no, we, we wait, we receive it. Even uh, when uh, the early church in, in Acts, when Jesus says this, he, he breathes on them at one point. He talked about the Spirit of God. He's like, just wait and receive the Spirit. Wait and receive. 
Now, I'm not talking about waiting and you're just kind of like doing nothing. This is an active kind of waiting. You're engaged, you're disciplined, you have all these, you're moving, you're in community. But you're not trying to get ahead of God in anything. You're, you're waiting for the Spirit of God to move. Your, your uh, complete kind of thought process of mind is like, God, would you move in my life? God, would, I'm just going to wait on you in this. And as your prayer life begins to develop, and all, these, all these disciplines begin to develop, it's like, man, I'm waiting for God to move in my life. I mean, think about it this way. How many of you guys think it would be better for you to do your own thing faster or wait on God to do his own thing with you? Right? It's like, sure, you might be able to make a decision really quick and do something, and you might think it's a good idea, but wouldn't it be way to, bit, uh, better to maybe just wait on God and think, hold on, what, what would happen if the Spirit of God began to move in that decision and that thought process? Look at Second Peter 1. Peter was one of Jesus' closest disciples, and he says it this way. He says, his divine power has given us everything. And the power is talking about the Spirit of God moving. We need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. God, the, the Bible is so cool. Here, like, this is, what, this is what Peter is saying in his writing. He's like, here's what happens when the power of the Spirit of God begins to move in you. You get to participate in the divine nature of God. Does anyone else think that's crazy? We can like read that and like gloss over and be like, ooh, I read 2 Peter 1 today. It's like, hold on, it's like pump the brakes for just a second. That just said you can participate in the divine nature of God through the power of the Spirit moving in your life. For real, how many of you guys would love to participate in the divine nature of God? Yeah, we've been trying to be gods our whole life, right? Not just to have to be our own God, but this is saying like, whoa, we get to participate in the divine nature of God. This is crazy. And Peter's like, this is what you get when the power and the spirit of God begins to, to work in us. But here's the thing. When scripture talks about the power of the spirit, it is always received, not taken. It's like, man, I want to receive. So even in, can you imagine if you just started praying that way? That's where your heart started being like, God, I want to receive your power. I want to receive your spirit. I want to, God, I want to participate in your divine nature. You know, it's interesting when Peter writes that, um, it goes against our Western impulse, first of all, because we all just want to get what we want, right? Um, I'm an achiever, all right? That's part of who I am. Um, here's what that means I like to do, achieve things. Okay, and I like to accomplish things. And if you tell me I can't, I'm going to. Like, there's like, I just love that element of it. Okay, that's just how I'm wired. And so, so to actually wait on the Lord and receive something is a little hard for me. It just is. And so, um, but for some of you, you, like your waiting might be a little bit different than me. Maybe it's like you're waiting too much, meaning you're not doing anything. But, but our, our Western impulse is to like go and take what we want. You want it, you, you go and get it. But he's like, no, no, you got to receive this. you got to wait on the Lord. And it changes everything. It changes the power that can come in your life. It changes the way you begin to per uh, perceive everything uh, around you. Here's what I love about that passage, too. Um, sometimes we act like there's no power over sin within us. 
But what Peter says, we can have, participate in the divine nature. And here's what that means. It leads us to godliness and, and that we have power over sin in our lives through the work of the Spirit of God in us. Here's the second thing. We need to make an effort. You might be thinking to yourself, you just told me to wait. It's not opposite. It's just in the midst of our waiting, we are active waiters. Okay? We, are, um, we have spiritual disciplines. Um, we are um, actively engaged in community. We are seeking. All right? When, when we seek the Lord, we can find the Lord. Right? Like we are, we are seeking. We're just, not, we're just not passively waiting. It's like, you know, we are engaged and we are connected. And when that begins to happen, it's like, man, we are making an effort to engage. Here's what that passage in Peter continues on. It says, for this very reason, he says it. He says, make every effort to add to your faith. And look what he says. Add this to your faith. Goodness. Into goodness, knowledge. Into knowledge, self-control. Into self-control, perseverance. Into perseverance, godliness. Into godliness, mutual affection, meaning unity. Into mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. When the power of the Spirit of God begins to move inside of you, these things are added to your life. Your life. So it's like, yeah, yeah, you can have faith, but let me add to that this. Goodness. And you can have good, but let me add to this this. And let me add, and then in the midst of those things, that the power of the Spirit of God moves, it increases in measure so we can be effective. Um, we talked about this uh, last week, but how many of you guys have something that you keep doing you wish you didn't keep doing? Honestly, we all do, right? Lying is the other people's that didn't raise their hand. <laughs> but we all have something that we keep doing that we wish we wouldn't keep doing. Here's what I know. It might take a little bit of time, but the power of spirit of God will make us more effective in it. Too often, here's what we do. Ah, that's just the way I am. I've run hot my whole life, and so I just, this anger thing just won't leave me. It's like, no, no, no. When the Spirit of God and the power of the Spirit of God, when you want to surrender it to, guess what will happen? It kind of starts chipping away at your anger. We start seeing self-control. And these things start happening inside of us because we've surrendered our lives to the Spirit of God. So the power of the Spirit can begin to move in us. He continues on, he says, does not have them as nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. So here's what he's saying to, to those of us who are dealing with shame. He's saying like, hey, we know the realities of what happened before. You are not that person anymore. But the power of the Spirit of God is coming in and has cleansed you from those sins. Stop holding on to it. We've got something so different for your future. Stop holding on to that shame. That shame that you carry is not more powerful than the cross. When the Spirit of God starts moving, you start like, ah, I'm going to push that away. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Hmm. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, or our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Whenever we talk about um, times where we don't, we do things that we wish we didn't do, it's like those are little moments of stumbling. 
And what Peter says here, he's, like, he's not saying we're going to be perfect. He knows that. But what he's saying is here's what will begin to move inside of us, that when we surrender and when we have the power of the Spirit of God, those things start shrinking and shrinking and shrinking and shrink, become less frequent. And even if something happens, you're like, ah, it's like quick to get over it and quick to handle it. You get smaller and smaller, and you can stumble less and less and less. And to the point you get around people sometimes who are just so moved by the Spirit of God in their life, and they're just like, you're just so dang godly. Have you ever been around those people? You're like, what? How do you do that, right? And we think, oh, it's because they're so disciplined and they follow all the rules. Like, that ain't it. Like, I know some rule followers are jerks, right? Like, but like, they're, but like, these people are like, man, there's a level of godliness there. You're just like, wow. Like, do you actually sin? You, you legitimately question whether or not you actually sin, right? Um, Lacey is one of those people, um, honestly. She's going to. I'm going to puff her up a little bit here. But, um, you know, Lacey almost broke up with me. She almost made the biggest mistake of her life when um, <laughs> we were first dating. And, uh, um, and I just want, like, there's a lot of things I admire about Lacey and have always respected about her. But this is, like, the way the Spirit of God moves in her life is, is, is probably top. And, and here's why. Um, I had just kind of come, some of you guys know I just share a lot, but, like, making horrible decisions in my life on my way to, like, really good trajectory and, like, making some good decisions, and we started dating. And um, I did something that, to me, seemed meaningless at the time. Didn't even think anything of it. And she almost break up, broke up with me over this. Um, we were in CVS, and you know how they used to have those bins with, like, candy in them? You know, like, with, like, a caramel or whatever, you know, like, whatever's in there. I just walked by when I took a caramel and ate it. And um, listen... In comparison to what I was doing, this was like a blip on the radar, okay? So, um, so anyway, I do that, and she's like mortified, like mortified at what I just did. And, and here's why. Because that little action was actually a sign of like maybe a character flaw, right? And so, um, so she then said something to me. I don't remember the exact conversation um, that would happen afterwards, but how she describes it is like my answer to what she said made me trust that I was still going in the right direction and was able to kind of, that's why we stayed together. But had I had a different reaction, like she would have just been like, no, that ain't it, and done. Well, what was that in the moment? It's like, man, like the boundaries she had and everything was just like so clear. And like, it was just like, man, the spirit of God's moving in such a, an incredible way that it set up these awesome boundaries so that she's not going to stumble. She's not going to stumble in the midst of this. And there was something so vibrant about her spirit. And, and so we see this, it's like, man, um, sometimes we can feel the spirit a little greater than other times, and I get that. We can have rhythms with the spirit of God. Um, that's okay, but, but sometimes people are like, oh, I don't feel the spirit at all. And, and that ain't the spirit's fault. Um, here's how uh, I wrote it down this week. I can get there. Uh, a person's apathetic spirit, small, lowercase s, isn't because the spirit of God lost power. So are there times where we feel disconnected? Yes. Um, there's no doubt. But it's not because the spirit of God lost its power. There's something that has to be churned inside of us. There's something that has to be um, uh, addressed within us. That says, like, man, why am I not as connected to the Spirit of God as I was before? What, what is there? Is there something that is actually uh, going on inside of me? Is there something that deeply needs to change? 
the only thing, oh, I'm sorry, here's, let me give you a list really quick of why do we get disconnected from the Spirit. Number one, we get self-centered. This makes sense. Uh, number two, we have a fear of failure. That, man, your, your, your whole life is, is really oriented. I don't want to fail, I don't want to fail, I don't want to fail, and you become consumed by these things. And we can disconnect from the Spirit because it's all about us. Um, number three, we care too much about what others think. Uh, number four, lack of boundaries. Number five, a lack of confession and vulnerability. And then number six, um, we are aware of what change need, needs to happen. And so we're like, oh, I don't want that. Uh, if we're honest with ourselves, we probably all, all have gone down this road to some degree where we're like, the Spirit's like moving inside of us and we feel it and we know it. And we know that like, oh, that's going to have to change in my life. And you're like, but I don't want to. And so that I don't want to means I just want to do what I want to do. And so you disconnect yourself from the Spirit of God. And we lose its power in our life. Here, and here's the last part. Oop, oop, let me get back. Be encouraged. Um, one of the things that we begin to see uh, throughout Scripture is this encouragement that happens with the Spirit. Uh, it's very easy to be negative, Right? There's a lot of material out there. <laughs> but when the Spirit of God um, begins to move, um, you know, to encourage means to like put courage into something, right? To discourage means to take it away. And so um, when the Spirit of God begins to move, it's like there's this encouragement that happens in our souls and our beings. It's like, oh no, we, we can do this. Oh no, this can change. Oh no, this does mean something. Like, it encourages us to take next steps. It encourages us to make an effort. It encourages us in our waiting. It encourages us to, to believe what God can do and the power of what he can do if we just are willing to surrender. This encouragement comes within the grouping of people. When Peter writes that, the, that part of the letter uh, to the folks, he's, he's not writing it to an individual. He's writing it to a community of people. And he's like, hey, to you people in community together, be an encouragement to one another. Give each other courage. As the Spirit of God and the power of the Spirit of God, like, it will build up inside of you. I wrote down this week some things that um, people might be waiting for. Uh, maybe you're waiting on healing, and you feel discouraged. You've prayed, and you've prayed, and you've prayed, and you're starting to feel discouraged. Be encouraged that the Spirit of God wants to move in your life in a powerful way. Keep praying for healing. And that's what we will hope that healing will happen. But when the Spirit of God moves even in the midst of some of that suffering and pain, and even in the midst of what it be, that we get this supernatural perspective in the midst of it that only the Spirit of God can bring. So in your waiting, here's what happens. You build strength. In your waiting, you build courage. In your waiting, there's this, this power that begins to rise up inside of you. Maybe you're waiting on God's timing on something, and it's like, in your waiting, let God, let the Spirit of God begin to work inside of you to build strength inside of you. Or maybe you're waiting um, for an answer to some other kind of prayer. And, and, uh, or maybe you're waiting on something that you have that's been broken inside of you. That you've been kind of hesitant to deal with and, and all of that. But it's like, man, let God, the Spirit of God speak into that brokenness and disappointment. Let the Spirit of God speak truth into it. Let the Spirit of God bring power and let the Spirit of God like take that fear that you have and encourage you 
When the Spirit of God begins to move, it, it shifts our entire way of thinking. I mean, think about this. Um, we've never heard of a courageous worrier, right? That's not a thing. But man, when, when the Spirit of God begins to move, there's a, a different power, a different strength. Some of you guys have come in here tired. You've been tired. And some of that being tired might be because you've been trying to do it all on your own. But when the Spirit of God comes, he takes that exhaustion and flips it. We're going to sing a song here in just a second. Um, it's going to be a new song for most of you guys in the room. It talks about waiting on the Lord. And it's based off of the passage in Isaiah 40. And I'm going to read you a portion of that passage here in just a second. But in this passage, um, it's an incredible, I, I encourage you to read the entire chapter. It's incredible. It talks about how big God is and, and the spirit of God moving and what happens and, and like who are we to like kind of come after God and everything. But it's like this, it paints this huge picture of who God is. And he's talking to people who are tired and says this in Isaiah 40. He says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, he will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. So in the midst of your exhaustion, when the Spirit of God moves, just know this. God is not tired. He's not weary. He's with you. He gives strength. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. This is how you know he's from the northern kingdom. Even the youths grow tired and weary. And young men, thank you for those who got that. Um, even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And you guys can come up. Um, That last part was uh, part of my story um, last year where um, I just felt tired and exhausted. Um, you know, I shared weeks ago how, like, there was, like, a, a fleeting moment where I'm like, maybe I shouldn't do this anymore. And uh, I just kept praying that the Spirit of God would move. I kept praying that... Um, it would renew my strength, renew my heart, renew my mind. And I knew I just had to wait. I had to wait on God. I wanted to do the things I needed to do, but I wanted to wait on God and receive power. And so this morning, that might be you. Um, you felt tired. You felt weak. You felt like you lost hope. Maybe you're disappointed. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you feel broken. And God wants you to know he's not tired. If you just wait on him and open yourselves up to the spirit of God, that there can be a power, a transformational power and strength that can come to you. So here's what I want to do. I want everyone to just kind of close their eyes. We're going to take a minute just to take in what God might be speaking into your heart right now.